You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. like pastor and I can pray for my team. I don't have to ask for what God has already given. Come on, thank you. Uh, Well, it is good though to have Rod Nand here today. Go back a long way. You guys are in Australia now for a few months, I think. Great. We'll see you around. We'll have some time together where, uh, just don't kiss me, Rod. No, Anne can, not you. I'm not that kind of guy. Just leave it. He comes from living in a place in the world where men kiss men and he's gotten too used to it. Pray for him. Good to have him home. Great servants of God. Done trips together. Remember the bombs going off in Baghdad while we were there and all kind of stuff. You know, you think, gee, that's absolutely crazy. I, I didn't even think twice. Well, we didn't think twice about the course. We know if we're in the center of God's will, it's the safest place to be. There's Simon, my roommate from... Back dad, we won't talk about that night. <clears throat> but it's just fun seeing Simon cut loose in freedom and dance when uh, some of the Kurds got set free, when that young lady got healed and back straightened up. And anyway, I'm reminiscing. Sorry. How are you, church? That sounded halfway there. Aren't you better than that? You just should be saying, man, I feel so good, I don't want to get over it. It's, it's, it's a good day. It is amen. Margaret had a salvation at the cap lunch yesterday. Come on. End of year, right? End of year festivities already. Had a salvation. That's the breakthrough we're praying for and believing for more. And uh, might even happen for one of you here today. Just put that out there right now. You know, why not? Why not you? Why not now? Why not here? Why not? Which is great. Because we're, we're in a great season praying together. <clears throat> I don't know, I'm losing my voice. I'm out of shape. You might have to come up and take over, mate. I'll just sit down and drink tea and turn on the game. Anyway, we're, we're believing and praying for a harvest. Just really believing for that. Uh, and we're praying for our church to experience growth like the early church did. People don't think that's possible. I'm telling you, in places around the world, it's happening. Peter Wagner reported years ago that in China alone, I don't know if it still is right if you're up with some of the missiology stats, but years ago in China alone, what was it? 10,000 upwards people a day coming to Christ. They think because they're behind a bamboo curtain, things aren't happening. Usually things happen more rapidly where there is a wall up. Maybe we just need Trump to come over here and build a wall around Australia. I knew that would get you. (laughs) I'm going to get you alive here this morning some way or another. But come on, we're, we're, we're believing for growth in our people and through our people, right? Praying for that. And it requires breakthrough. I'm telling you now, because everything is standing and working against it, it requires breakthrough. And, it, and we need a shift. Listen, we're praying, we're believing hard. And by the way, come join us in the prayer meetings. They're pumping. You know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning, they're pumping. People are getting passionate and they're praying with faith and things are happening. But what we need is a breakthrough, a shift in how people perceive church. You know, Janet went to invite our neighbor. We've lived next to them for nearly 23 years. Janet went to invite our neighbor the other day uh, to the women's thing coming up. And she just stopped Janet in her tracks. Listen, I'm telling you here and now, I don't want to be rude, but I don't want to beat around the bush either. No, not interested, don't ask. And you'd go, whoa, Australia's a hard place. 
doesn't work here. Well, we need to shift that. And we need to shift it first in here. If you believe it's hard, then you'll approach it like it's hard. If you believe they're difficult to come to the gospel, then you'll approach it that it's difficult for them to come to the gospel. I mean, how easy was it for you? And look at you. Come on. Some of you were cynics before. Some of you were agnostics before. Some of you were defilers. Ooh, bad word. Before. Now you're not. You came in because somebody was praying. But see, people out there see the church as being a dinosaur. It's outdated. It's irrelevant. And some would see it as a fringe subculture in society. Ooh, those weird aliens. Push them to the edge. Don't come near us. Don't talk to us. Don't have anything to do with us. And I think we're kind of weird. We are called aliens, by the way. Don't have to go to Mars. Go to church. You'll find them every Sunday. We're aliens. And there's no doubt in this day and age, a lot of people are seeing the church through eyes of suspicion. And can I say, rightfully so. But I'll say this from the outside. The church doesn't abuse people. People abuse people. And we need to get that straight because the church is filled with people who do wrong things. And that's why Jesus died for us. But people see it with suspicion. And and, and because of that suspicion, it's easy to lose sight of the impact the church has on society. Man, I'm telling you, the global impact, it's so easy to get in our little world. We, We can't see the forest for the trees. And there's a lot of stuff happening around the planet, isn't there, Rod? That is awesome for the kingdom of God. And uh, Jay Johns, brilliant, he was just at the ladies' conference. Don't you love Jay Johns? It's just, he can have you in stitches laughing and then all of a sudden he can have you going, whoa. Um, He was being interviewed on television in the UK and they asked, he said, what do you do when people say what your job is? And so in describing his job, he kind of says it in a humorous but powerful way, so powerful that everybody on the plane near stopped and went, whoa, and looked. Um, I want to put it on the screen for you to see it because it gives you an idea how great of an impact the church has today. So let's kind of dim the lights, look at the screen, sip some tea and enjoy. People often say to me, they say, Jay John, you know, what what do you do? It's always very difficult to know what to say because if I say to you that I'm a reverend, which I am, that conjures up certain images in people's minds as to what I might be. So I like to be a little bit creative in telling people what I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport and I said, hello. And she said, well, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well, (laughs) I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She said, have you? Yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioral alteration. 
was so loud, her wow, loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? I said, it's called the church. <laughs> I might try that in the gym one day when they ask me what I do. I don't think I could say it like that. Who can, who can say it like Jay, John? But you know what? The incredible thing is this. With all that's happened, the hurt, the disappointment, the broken trust, the suspicion, I still believe in the local church. It is, it, it is and it carries the hope of the world. You know, all of us get hurt at some stage. We get hurt in family. We don't say, stuff family. We get hurt all over the... I get hurt riding a motorcycle. I've got another one. We get hurt in church. But we don't give up. It's the hope of the world. Because to give up on the church is to give up on the very thing that Jesus said, I will build. It's to give up on the thing that Paul calls us to build. It's giving up loving the very bride that Jesus gave his life for. I don't, I don't like her. You know what? Sometimes I don't either. We all get this, you know, but to stop loving her is to stop loving the bride of Christ. And I like what Alex Early said in his book. What a name. Alex Early, New Believer's Guide. Okay. <laughs> These names, it's like Reverend Divine out there. So, or your dentist, Dr. Moeller. Anyway. I like what Alex Hurley says when he points out that the church is not perfect and that's why Jesus had to die for her. And he says this in this book. It's a great book for new believers. He said, Christ loved the church. I think we got a slide. Yeah, great. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. God doesn't have backup plans. Whoops. They're not doing too well. I better find plan B. He makes one plan and he finishes it. The church is God's plan A. The church is essential. Why? Because as a Christian, you must give your life to the very thing Jesus gave his life for. The church. God's people. That's a sobering thought. When you walk away from that, you walk away from God's people. Interesting. So it brings me to the second thing that's necessary for a harvest. Because uh, last week, I, I skipped a little bit. Last week... Nate um, spoke very brilliantly on, you know, the issue of prayer and how prayer is an aspect that grows the church. Healthy things grow. I'm telling you, it does. I prayed my brother into the kingdom. Now, you might have trouble with that theologically, and I don't care whether you do or not. He's in the kingdom because I prayed him in. I have trouble with it theologically. I do. I have, it, it offends my theology, but it makes me excited as a person as a child of God. And uh, let me read the scripture with you. If you've got your Bible, Acts chapter 2, you might want to turn there. Those of you that are pulling out a paper Bible or your phone, Acts chapter 2, we're going to camp in that. The origin of the church. Great scripture, Acts 2.42. As a matter of fact, I think I've preached out of this scripture almost every year I've preached over the last 38 plus years I've been preaching. Acts 2.42 they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number, the New King James says, added to the church daily those who were being saved. I believe we can still get to the day where it's daily people are being saved. And I believe that's what God wants because growth happens when things are healthy. Healthy things grow. And so last week, Pastor Nate talked about one of the most vital things that we wanted to kick off this series with that, that prayer is so key and significant to our health and our growth. Prayer is the breath of life. Without prayer, you don't breathe. Try holding your breath for a long time. See how long you stay alive. Doesn't work. See how long you stay healthy and strong without praying. It doesn't work. And, and the thing that Nate said last week, which was so brilliant, was this. I'm assuming it's going on the screen, right? I'm not seeing it. Lasting fruit is not brought about by a moment of prayer, but by a season of prayer. Don't, don't do panic prayer like the thief on the cross. Yeah, he got in just. But God doesn't want you to just get in. He wants you to live life abundantly with breakthrough. And I thank God that we are a praying church. I thank God that we're engaging together in this season of prayer that's bringing breakthrough. So why don't we do this? Let's just break in again for a minute. Let's stand up. Have a stretch. Feet off the seats. Stand up. So I want to focus on another significant aspect of health that the first Christians were devoted to. Luke calls it the fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship. Now, I don't know about you. I find that an old-fashioned word, right? Fellowship. It's an old-fashioned word. I don't, I don't say to the boys, hey, let's, let's, let's get the bikes out and go on a fellowship ride. <laughs> Did you go on a fellowship flight the other day, David? I bet you didn't say to your, your, your non-Christian partner who, with a plane, let's go on a fellowship flight. You know? It's an old word, isn't it? Fellowship. Some of you, if you saw the Lord of the Rings, remember J.R.R. Tolkien, the fellowship of the ring. Right? Right? If you've studied medicine, you will know that there is the F-R-A-C-G-P. Anybody know what that stands for? Peter, you know what it stands for? Loudly. Tell me, come on. You shook your head. I'm going to get you, man. I can see. I might be deaf, but I can see. I can't hear him, but you guys getting it? Yeah. That's right. The Fellowship of Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. Aren't you glad you don't have to say that every day? Even the medical people call it that. In America, if, if you finished your, your main studies as a general practitioner, you go into a year of fellowship and you're called a fellow. If you're a girl, you're called a fellow. How offending is that in this day and age? They use the term fellowship. Even the scouts in Australia talk about having fellowship with the scouts. I don't know if you watch NCIS, but you become like McGee, a bit of a nerd, right? Because he was a scout kind of guy. And they talk about, we need to do things that create fellowship for the scouts. How exciting. As we sit around a campfire and sing Kumbaya, whatever. Anyway, but, but just humor me for a minute. Because when I became a Christian in this Baptist church in America, now humor me. <laughs> Settle, Tim. 
Humor me as I share from my early American Christian experience. I literally thought, now you're going to laugh because I mean, I'm from Alabama, so here we go. I literally thought fellowship was a place. I, mean, I didn't own a Bible. I didn't know about this stuff. But they said to me, go downstairs and meet them in the fellowship hall. Right. It's a place. It's a hall. And it was a place where we'd have coffee and donuts before the church service. We'd eat fattening foods and talk about trivial stuff. Fellowship. But it was also, I'll show you a photo. I can't see, I can't see him. Photo, photo. There we go. It's the place where Janet and I, we had a night wedding. That was taken a few weeks ago. Um, <laughs> we had a night wedding, candlelight wedding, and we invited everybody down to the fellowship hall so we could share cake and coffee. I won't show you the, another picture where I was kind of smushing cake in her face, but it was also a place, believe it or not, it was a place where I gave what I call the right foot of fellowship to my instructor when I got my black belt. And I did, I smacked him. It's all right. He busted my nose too. No, he hit me in the eye. I came to Australia with one eye closed and I learned how to break and I learned how to fly. That was yesterday. So it was a place. At best, the fellowship hall was where we'd study the Bible. I actually preached my first sermon in that hall to the youth group. First sermon ever. Lasted 12 minutes. Some of you are going, bring it back. 12 minutes? Never. Never. That was, nearly, that was over 40 years ago. You got Buckley's. But you know, the kind of fellowship that Luke describes in Acts chapter 2 is far more significant and powerful than what I'm talking about here. It had what was both a cause and an effect. Listen, it caused this infant church to be strong, healthy, and growing. Against all odds, it it did something amazing because the word fellowship literally means a close relational involvement. It's not an activity. There's something deeper and stronger about this thing. And we've turned it somehow into an activity. Let's go have fellowship. Let's do fellowship. Let's go to the fellowship meeting. Interesting, the word is used in 1 John 1, 3 to describe our relationship with each other and with God himself. The same word is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, and he literally uses the word partnership with Jesus. Whoa. And in, in Philippians 1.5, he uses the word to talk about our partnership together in mission. And in, in 1 Corinthians 5.2, he uses the word to talk about the local church. Fellowship. Pretty significant. Don't go all silent on me. See, it carries the meaning of... It, it comes from the old word koinos, which means common. Paul extrapolated out to koinonia, meaning common life. He Christianized this word of something that was just common to now it's deeper and stronger to describe this new thing called the church. Both Paul and Luke does that. And in Philippians 1.5, Paul talks about this partnership, this common life in the gospel. It's an interesting thing. Do you know what he's saying? In this good news that Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, 
and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And by this, you have faith and you take your stand and are saved. Simple. This gospel that we join in with brings us into the family of God. Paul said this, I'm not ashamed of this good news because it is the power of God that brings us into the family of God. I just want to do something before we go any further. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Why not here? Why not think about this good news? In a world where things change so rapidly and you don't know what the next day brings, James said that your life is like a vapor. It's here for a moment and then it vanishes. Why not think about and receive the greatest news that was ever given that God himself gave to us, that God so loves us that he gave his one and only son, that if we would believe in him, trust him, trust that he is the son of God, trust that he is our savior, trust that he did die on a cross to pay for our sins against God, that if we believe in him and trust him, we will not perish, we will live forever. That's the good news. No matter what else happens around us, this can be secured, it can be real, and it can be now. You know, this, uh, this thing called fellowship has a cause, but it also has an effect. Um, you know, the, the common life and the partnership they shared had a profound effect. The life that came from being uh, in fellowship was infectious. I mean, it literally just captured the attention of a city. Their, their togetherness was immediately and continually impacting both on their lives and on the lives of those who looked on. And it happened so much so and so powerful, they could not be ignored and relegated to the back blocks as this weird people. It was amazing. I, I remember the effect. I mean, I, I was not a church person. I didn't own a Bible. I didn't understand the culture. And the culture I walked into the first time I went was, was just so radically different. You know, people make a big deal today that it's, it's got to be so attractive. It's got to be like a culture they'll love. There was nothing about that church service I liked. Absolutely nothing. Particularly the long sloping aisle that was treacherous because if you stepped out and they push you, you're rolling down the aisle. I mean, the music was old. The preacher was angry. The people were stuffy. They all had short back and sides. I was down to here in those days and stuff like that. And they were all dressed up and I wasn't. But the interesting thing that captured my attention was the quality of the people. Stop looking at the rapper. Listen to me. Stop looking at the outside. Man looks on the outside. God looks on the heart. And I tell you, before I was saved, I had preconceived ideas about Christians. I thought they were really kind of puffy and weird and church was just you know I'd rather sleep in and I my thoughts were not favorable of church I had so-called churches in high school with me and they were weird absolutely weird but when I experienced the life and the love that these people had for each other and they had for me it changed my view completely just powerfully even in the weirdness of the culture that was so different to mine, all of a sudden the life and the dynamism that was in there just captivated me. You know, this first church caught the attention of the city by the way they lived and by what they did. There was no doubt about it. It says in verse 47, 
They were praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. That's not talking about each other. That's talking about the city. I look forward to the day where we are so positioned that people are favorable towards us. And you say that doesn't happen. And I beg to differ because we have been part of a church where the government came to us and gave us money to do stuff. And ask us to do stuff. And to partner with them. You can make a difference. Just by the quality of life. We had a guy in the church who was just a manager at, at the NAB. And all of a sudden, he had a government department coming to him saying, here's $40,000 to start a white goods loan service for people who have nothing. Would you manage it? Yeah, let me think about it. It can happen. It's good to be positioned. And I think this center we've got and our vision that we've got positions us for influence. Not just growth, but for influence where people in the city look on with awe and God looks on with delight and says, man, I like what's going on. I think I'll increase that. They enjoyed favor with God, with the people. People were daily getting saved. And you know, here's my take. I hear people saying constantly, it's even come out of my mouth. I, I need to be slapped every time I say it now. You've got permission. If you don't mind getting slapped back. Just who hits first. No, serious. It's so hard to get people in Australia to believe in Christ. It's such a tough nation. They're just so disinterested. And it just so easily comes out, doesn't it? Have you ever thought about how hard it must have been in Jerusalem? They just killed Jesus. I mean, if you were going to plant a church, it wouldn't be in Jerusalem. Can you imagine... All right, we're going to start a church. And they're in the upper room. And Jesus said, we're going to give it a bang and start with the Holy Ghost. And he's coming. Could we do this in Antioch? They're a little bit more open-minded there. You know, they might not crucify us like they did you. It's comical. And I think it's just so God. It's like God saying, I'm going to show you that the power of the gospel is more powerful than the power of man. And if it can happen in first century Jerusalem, how much they were against Jesus, it can happen here in Newcastle. It can happen in Australia. To be the kind of church that gets the blessing of God and the favor of the people, you know, we, we've got to have a devotion to the fellowship that can't be ignored or relegated to the back block. I don't know who said it. I think it, I was at a conference and Rick Warren was speaking and he also wrote it in a book. But this phrase just kind of rocked my world because I thought all we, you know, all we should do is preach, 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 preach. And the reality is sometimes you don't get a chance to preach with your words until you preach with your life. And he said this, if your church closed its doors and ceased to operate, would the community around you notice and even care? That's a pretty good litmus test as to whether you're relevant. Hmm. So, what's required for this kind of fellowship, this kind of community to be seen and experienced? Well, we've got to be like the first church who devoted themselves to the fellowship. If you, you, you go read any number of translations into English of the New Testament, and you'll find words like deliberate, intentional, persevering, steadfast, devoted, passionate. Even though the church, when this was written, the church was now at least 3,120 3, strong. At least. At least. And yet, they were still small enough to care. Hear me on this. Because people think, when it comes to church, big is bad. It, it, it's impersonal, it's bad. Listen, there, there, 
they were still small enough to care because they met regularly in homes. Hear me on this. Their fellowship was more than a friendly get-together for a meal. I hear people throw fellowship, fellowship, and all they mean is, I want to hang out with my Christian friends. That's all they mean, and that's not what God means. God means far more than that. Because in these small settings, that's where the depth of their new family and community was worked out and needed to be worked out. Uh, They didn't have to wait for Sunday to all of a sudden look like a Christian, grow like a Christian, be committed to growing together. You know, Sunday is our, our flagship, no doubt about it. But if stuff doesn't happen Monday to Sunday, our Christianity is going to be weak. And I don't mind saying that. We're going to be very weak. And we've got to be committed. If you read the context, you'll see that they passionately prayed. They studied the word. They experienced the presence of God together in these small settings. And they shared and cared together. Period. And make no mistake though. This was not like the modern day house church movement that gathers people in homes so they can bunker down and hide from the world or because they've been hurt. Listen, you know what the difference is? They were on a mission. They're on a mission to reach their city. And as a matter of fact, they couldn't meet in big places anyway. It was illegal. They couldn't rent a big place. They couldn't own a big place for hundreds of years. So they just decided we're going to meet everywhere. And all of a sudden, they changed the city that they were in. They say that before Titus sacked Jerusalem, 50% of the city had been swept into the kingdom of God. That's God's intention, not for once, but for the rest of, of life on this planet. And even though their regular meetings were in homes, they were still intentional about growing. It wasn't just, oh yeah, we're going to go hang out with our Christian friends. You hear people say, let's get together and have some fellowship. And they just mean having a chat and a meal. No, no, it's a lot more than that. The first church used this time to grow personally and to reach the community. I think every group ought to have an empty chair. You know what that means? That empty chair represents one of your friends that needs to come to Christ. Because the reality is our groups, our groups are not just about me, what I get. It's not just about me and, and my feeding and my needing and all this stuff, but it's about them. And we ought to have an empty chair. And I'll tell you, it works. Uh, I, I, remember, I remember a number of years ago, a woman came to Christ through one of our ministries. And her husband was quite educated, quite agnostic. He was a cynic. And he was skeptical about this thing. He thought his wife had joined a sect. Oh, she's become brainwashed by those people so here's what he decided to do every Wednesday I'm going to this house group with her he walks in the first Wednesday sits down the chair does what Aussies do when they don't want you to get close first Aussies we met did that three of them sat and looked at us and said what do you want we just want to come to Australia and you know serve God oh okay so he sat in this lounge arms crossed and he told them outright I'm not interested Um, I don't believe the stuff that you guys believe, but I'm concerned about what my wife got herself into, so I'm going to be here every week with her just to make sure you don't brainwash her. The leaders went, sweet, come early so we can eat together. This went for months. They found Ray slowly but surely unfolding his arms. They found Ray starting to interact with the other men in the group, start smiling laughing. Blow me down if he didn't show up to church service one Sunday morning. Still saying, not me, it's for her. Next thing I knew, I look out and his hands are up in worship. 
months. I preached, man, and I gave the gospel call. Boom. Ray comes down. He's crying. This tough cynic crying. And I thought, gotcha. You know, got that fish. So I went to him, bold. So what was it about the sermon today that got you, Ray? He goes, it was the song. Isn't he beautiful? I went, crap. And it wasn't the song. It was the reality of the life shared in that group. And he saw the faults. But their love and their commitment to each other in Christ was greater than their faults. Empty chair. And I want to tell you something, church. It's time for us to recommit to these kind of groups. Where fellowship causes growth and where pre-believers come, check out the faith. And we're going to talk about this more in a couple of weeks. But let me give you one more thing. This fellowship, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. I'm putting an emphasis on the definite article, the. Because it was real enough to be seen and touched. Now let me say something about that. Um, In some English versions, if you look in there, you go, oh, the word the is missing. I don't know why. I I can't understand it for the life of me. I've read... 20 commentaries this week on this and and none of them explain why they've left out the definite article. And yet I went straight to my Greek New Testament, read it in Greek, and there it is. The definite article is there. It doesn't say they were committed to fellowship. It says they were committed to the fellowship. And you go, oh, Keith, you're getting worked up about a little word. Now listen, don't lose the significance here. Luke is not writing about an abstract idea. He is not writing about some ethereal, emotional notion that comes from another world. Luke is writing about a real group of people that could be touched and seen and experienced, just like Jesus was. Jesus wasn't a ghost from God. John said, we saw him. We touched him. He's the word of life. Well, I'm telling you, that same reality exists in his people. We see them. We touch them. They gather together in groups, and they call themselves the church, the fellowship. Because you hear people today going, "Eh, as long as you have fellowship, No, we need to be committed to some fellowship that is real, that is tangible, that can be touched and felt in their hurts. Gosh, in one week when you go from here to there, how could you be without a family like this? I don't get it. You know, Luke constantly uses a phrase in the early chapters of Acts. It appears in some English versions as together. Eh, We're here together today. It says in verse 46 of chapter 2, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. It's interesting, the new King James says it like this, so continuing daily with one accord, old language again. But it's far more than a physical gathering. He's describing an attitude and a commitment and a passion that comes from within to say, I'm with you in this. And it's a strong thing. The fellowship was a place they called home. It was a place and a people they called family. And they were devoted to this new community of faith. And it wasn't just an emotional moment. Oh, yeah, I felt good in my heart. And they walked away. It was reliable. It was dependable. And it went the distance no matter what happened. Because in a matter of a few short years, pressure comes on the church. You know, y'all don't got to be a Christian for a very short period of time 
to realize stuff, this isn't easy. This is tough. I didn't know I was signing up for this. I thought I was supposed to get the whole package, first class. Listen, you're swimming against a very strong tide. But thank God you don't have to swim alone. Together, together, together. Their fellowship was characterized by this passion, but it's far more than emotion. And when they faced the challenges and the persecution that came, they grew together. Do you know the church has always been at its best when it is together and all of a sudden it's under pressure? I don't know if you saw the movie Chariots of Fire. You guys see that? The guy gave up his career as an athlete to go back to China as a missionary. Real story, true story. He actually died. I think he was in jail. He was, he was arrested for being a missionary and he died of sickness in the jail. Eric Lytle, little, however the Scots say it. And what happened? The bamboo curtain went up, communists took over and all the Christians, some started vacating, others got put in jail and they thought, well, that's it for the church in China. It'll now die. So all the Westerners are gone. Decades later, the bamboo curtain comes down. Enough for people to go in. You know what they found? A strong, healthy, thriving church that was growing constantly because a church grows best under pressure when we grow together. You can't kill God's bride. You can't kill God's church. Come on, let's stand to our feet. We need to be committed to this thing, people. You know, in a world, in a day where, where everything is temporary and everything is, is kind of disposable, we need to lock onto this thing called the fellowship and be devoted to it and say, these are my people, this is my family. You know, I live and breathe for this family in Jesus' name. Come on, let's do breakthrough. I'm believing for a breakthrough. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.